Hi, everyone. Hi, hi. Thanks, Eric, and welcome to everyone. It's, it's beautiful to be here, and it's, it's truly a, a gathering of the heart, and it's a very uh, vibrational gathering. And uh, I was just looking at the, the list of, uh, of who all is here digitally. We're all here gathered together, and um, I was seeing there's like 26 uh, people who are new. It's their first time. Uh, sprinkled around. I was looking at some of the countries, Australia, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, France, Finland, Germany, India, Japan, Mexico, and the United States and Netherlands. Taiwan. And Taiwan. At the, yeah. And, um, and also, we're really, we had heard back in November, around November 3rd, from Jesus that uh, 2020 came right out and said it would be very digital, and he, I think the words were digital revolution that came through my mouth, and so here we are. This is our part of our digital revolution. You're, you're part of the revolution, like the Beatles. Say you want a revolution, well, you know. We all want to save the mind, <laughs> and we need the Holy Spirit <laughs> to save the mind. And so, just a little bit of hats off, because I, I know Chris, Christopher Pelham's here. We were going to be up there in New York City in May. Eric Nowakowski is here from Michigan, um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. You know, we have uh, Tina Fagel, dear Tina, our friend from uh, Minnesota. She was going to host this up in Minnesota. We, we were going to be in the south, in Florida, uh, a number of places. And also, Estrid and Miguel uh, are right over there in uh, Barcelona. Nice to see you. And uh, we were going to be there, uh, go, work, going to a convent uh, and, and sharing a big gathering over there. I think we have Maria Ibars over there in the same area. Um, and there's just so many. Um, and then June, we were going to be going out west. And so we have uh, Brian and Alexandra and the team, uh, Team Oregon. Team <laughs> are, Oregon. Team Oregon are in there. And Mount Shasta. Yes, there's a lot. Uh, and Mount Shasta, the Mount mm -hmm. Shasta group, uh, we were going to stop there on the way up. So here we are. We, we do, are doing two months of touring uh, this, this weekend. And talk about a time collapse. Uh, this is getting easier and easier, you know. It's like I didn't even have to pack a suitcase or pull out my passport or whatever. It's really fun. But we also, on the way over, we were talking because um, a lot of times, uh, sometimes people refer to Francis and I as like Course in Miracles teachers. Uh, it doesn't quite cover it, but, or we're, we're talking, about about spirituality teachers and uh, you know really we we live extremely devoted lives and very deep and it's so much a focus on it's like mysticism where I like the way you always say mysticism because you can take like the syllables and you squeeze it down into <laughs> something that sounds even better mysticism you go mysticism. She just 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 collapses mysticism. Just mysticism. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm ready for that. <laughs> That's even simpler than mysticism. You know, it sounds too complicated. But no, this is just single pointed devotion to God. And so we love 
joining with you and the best part for us is, is the practicality of it because Jesus tells us atonement works at all levels so it doesn't matter where you interpret yourself to be on the so-called journey, the journey without distance, <laughs> but it also means that it's so practical that we can address some um, questions that come in from you, uh, like uh, Pema in uh, California was writing that she she thought she was dying of cancer and um, and now seems that uh, she didn't. It's it's in remission, but but with the body, lots of things uh, falling away, uh, abilities falling away, and and still the inquiring deep questions that Pema wrote to us, like even with a body that's faltering, uh, it it did remind me, when I read your question, Pema, it reminded me recently, I I saw a bit of a piece from, um, from Byron Katie on this Wisdom 2.0 uh, gathering, and she was saying that uh, not long ago she was in the hospital and all of her body systems completely uh, shut down, all of them. And as uh, the doctors are, you know, rushing and swirling to try to do their thing, you know, to save the life or whatever. And what was the most enjoyable thing for me was after uh, Byron Katie was describing this experience at the hospital with all of her body systems shutting down, she, she got this big smile on her face because what was she doing? She was doing inquiry, inquiry. She was inquiring while the body's uh, systems were shutting down, and she went with a big smile on her face, fascinating, fascinating. That's the kind of attitude you need to have uh, when you're watching the world. Fascinating. You see how childlike and open Byron Katie's mind was. Uh, and that she also shared another experience, which I really enjoyed, because she said that uh, one time, a while back she was drinking a glass of water and she was drinking a glass of water and from the world's perspective the water went down the wrong pipe. It went down the, hmm. the air pipe instead of the, uh, the, the throat. And from a place of complete calmness she just watched the water go down and then the water comes shooting back up from a place of watching. Imagine watching yourself choking and not thinking that you're choking. Imagine you could observe water down, water up. Fascinating. How willing are you prepared to go with your mind training? How radical are you prepared to be in this mind watching? Are you prepared to go deep enough that you could watch what seems to be choking as, as just watching appearances and, go, and have that childlike glee in your mind like, wow, fascinating, fascinating. Or watch your body's symptoms seem to shut down from a frame of mind of fascinating, fascinating. You see how that's what inquiry, that's what self inquiry is about. That's what inquiring into the mind. So, you know, it's like you have to be willing to go really super, super deep. And maybe some of you thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm definitely not a mystic or a saint and maybe I'm, not, I'm not Ramana Maharshi, but you are. 
or I'm not Paramahansa Yogananda, but you are. If you are reading about Paramahansa Yogananda or you're reading about Ramana Maharshi, your mind is on the edge of tipping over into the great spirit, the, the one spirit. If you've got that far where you start to have curiosity, even curiosity about the mystics and the saints, then, then you're there. Your, your mind is right there. And a lot of times when we read the questions and everything, we see that it's kind of like with A Course in Miracles, you know, he's, he says, this course will be believed entirely or not at all. That's a good line from Jesus. That's, that's kind of one of those uncompromising lines. You will believe this course entirely or not at all. How radically devoted are you willing to be? How radically, uncompromisingly devoted are you willing to be? We basically have been living through what seems to be the first generation of Course in Miracles teachers and students and, and as the Course was given as an answer to Helen's prayer for Helen as she was the scribe of A Course in Miracles and she was really identified as being an intellectual. She was very identified as being a research psychologist and that's why she had so much resistance to it. It was because of the identity attachment to Helen and the self-concept of psychologist, research psychologist. She was actually, her and Bill were quite uh, at the top of their field. They were quite eminent psychologists and that to the ego is an identity and the Course of, was saying you have to let go of this world. You have to let go of your perception of relationships, your perception, professional per perception. You have to let go of your perception of being whatever, Americans or living in New York City. You have to let go of your your entire history, all those courses you took, you know, to be PhDs, to be, to get your doctorate, you know, you have to let go of the whole story. And that's really what we want to talk about today in the context of your questions that are coming in and also interacting with you uh, individually as we move on in this very deep session. Because the Course in Miracles is, is not something that you can incorporate into your self-concept. It's actually a tool that's designed to completely undo the self-concept of the personality and the cosmos that surrounds that personality. So, you can't basically just attach to the book and say, I am a Course in Miracles teacher or I am a Course in Miracles student or even when you say, The Course in Miracles is my path, that's an interpretation that involves the self-concept. And love is so far beyond the self-concept. Love doesn't even relate to the self-concept. The self-concept is a complete denial of love's presence. So, what you find is when you go into it, um, maybe when you think about your timeline life on earth, you maybe think um, that there's certain things that you would consider doing or that you might be open to doing on the spiritual journey. And then you probably have a list of things that you absolutely would not do. <laughs> I know when I talk to people, they, they like to tell me, this is what I will never do. It's always fascinating to me. You know, I, I will never 
take ayahuasca. I will never never live in a spiritual community. I will I will never uh, I will never levitate. <laughs> whatever they, whatever it is, you know, it's almost like no, I, that's going too far. That's too far. And anytime we have a, a thought of something being too far, that that can also be a block to the experience because the spirit will guide us into seemingly doing things, being done through, so that we can rinse and wash away everything that we ever believed we could be. Every potential imagined concept that we could possibly be has to be rinsed, like with a fire hose of light, from, from the mind. So, that's why, you know, you, you can't ever experience the vastness of this experience if you're still holding on to playing small and, and trying to find a concept that you can kind of camp out with. You know, like if you were going up a mountain and you were, the whole point was to reach the top of the mountain, to reach the peak, and then as you started getting a little higher up the mountain, you started meeting some way showers, some fellow travelers and seekers, and, but the point is to keep going, <laughs> and not to camp out and say, oh, I found you, this is my tribe, and now I've arrived. No, no, actually, that's just a camping spot. And it's, it's important to just relish and re feel the joy of the witnesses of those that you meet, but, but the whole point, as Jesus says, forget this world, forget this course, and come with holy empty hands unto your God, in the paragraph in Lesson 189. So, Maybe we can talk, start off right before we get into some of the questions. With Right before we started today, we were talking about uh, the world, the perceived world of, of images, and we were talking about interpretation. And that you were saying, well that's the whole thing right there. So, if we can just convey to you very simply about interpretation and the world, then, then that starts to give a context for it all. Yeah. And I, I feel that is um, one thing, you know, reading the Course and practicing it for, for years, and then one moment when I heard Jesus um, say in the Course that forgiveness is only hard because you still believe you have to forgive something real, that was like a light bulb light up in my mind. And when you're referring to atonement works at all levels, that idea holds true for all levels, you know. We can even look at the most small practical upsets and know that the reason it is so hard to forgive any situation is because we already determined that situation is really happening. Then, based on that assumption, based on the fact that someone is upset with me or someone did something, how do I forgive? becomes the how question. And that is extremely hard. And then, if you pull it out, that is the same problem and the same solution to every single level of errors, to the most fundamental error. I think the world is real, and it is the way I judge it. Then now, how do I forgive it? 
that becomes the most difficult question. So, in that way, I could really understand it at a、um, conscious level by looking at the practical examples in life and thinking that is so true. That is exactly the battle. That's exactly every single time the mind was struggling was because it already judged the situation as how it is, and then trying to decide, come up with a method or ask Jesus, "How do I forgive?" But not knowing, it is a perceptual problem because the way I see is the problem. That's why you know. Every single lesson that Jesus talks about, there is no love but God. There is the, the world I see holds nothing I want. It's it's a penetrating idea that works at all levels, absolutely all levels. So that's right here at the core of the problem, and that that is where we want to start today because reading all the questions. We can really see that assumption is underlying the questioning. Given that this is what's happening, how do I forgive? What do I do? Given this is what is a true interpretation of a concrete fact, how、mm. becomes an impossible question? Yeah. So you can start to see the underlying assumption. Is that there is an actual world, and so when, when even when you find yourself talking to somebody and going, "Oh, the world's crazy," or "The world's a mess," or "The world's a, a picture of fear," or whatever, even if you say the the world is a, a picture of joy and happiness, the assumption that there is such a thing as a world. That exists apart from your mind, apart from consciousness, apart from your thought. That is the basic lie. That is the basic error. That's what the whole workbook of A Course in Miracles is designed to do: is to help to show you that the thoughts that you think you think and the world that you think you see are identical. That that the world is not really outside. And And when we talk about externals, sometimes people think about when they think about the the images of the world, they think、um, that's the world of they'll say the world of externals. But they don't seem to realize that the thoughts that they think, my thoughts are images I have made, my meaningless thoughts are showing me a meaningless world. That the thoughts and the images are the same. They're actually called thought forms. You could call them thought images, Im- images that are thoughts, and these are all ego thoughts, and they're all private thoughts. And the whole experience of the workbook of A Course in Miracles is to simply take you into an experience that Jesus mentions in Lesson One Thirty Two. There is no world apart from what you think, he says, and then he says another point: the, there is no world apart from what you wish. And then he comes right out with "There is no world!" exclamation point. You know, he's he's really teaching us that this is a perceptual hallucination, and the only thing that maintains the hallucination is the belief that your thoughts are different from the what you are perceiving. You have to start to realize that there's not like a world, an actual world, and then there's this amorphous thing called a mind that can interpret. You know, like oh. 
sometimes people write to me and they'll say, well, it can still be a crisis. There can still be a world that's having a crisis. But I can still be peaceful even in spite of the crisis. And I'm like, what? What, what are you talking about? You can't, you can't perceive a crisis and be pe peaceful, you know. And this is where some of the, the early teachings of the Course, it's like, be kind in the face of attack. That's ridiculous. Uh, be peaceful in the face of competition, in the face of war. Uh, I've even heard spiritual teachers for a long time have used the, the phrase, uh, be in the world but not of it. And, uh, you know, we really have to take a close look at what that means, be in the world but not of it. What quantum physics has been showing for the last seven decades is there is no world apart from consciousness. That's, that's, that's not a new idea, that's, that's even been in quantum physics for the last seven decades. And then if you go back to the Bhagavad Gita, the Vedas, the Upanishads, if you go back to the ancient non-dualistic Chinese teachings, if you go back to any non-dual teaching, they, you will find the same thing, that there is no world apart from what you think. So there is no you that can decide that you want to interpret the world. Even the idea of decision-maker, um, the only time in A Course in Miracles that Jesus mentions decision-maker is really, he really emphasizes in the, the Manual for Teachers um, how is healing accomplished. He says, this is where you bring, he brings in the decision-maker. And this is not some construct. He says, the only realization that you need to heal and that's a healing and atonement are the same. So he's talking about the atonement too. Now he's not talking about healing the body. But the only realization you need to heal is the recognition that the mind and not the body is the decision maker. So he's not using it as some artificial intellectual construct in the mind. Uh, Charlie the chooser or whatever it's been called by many different people and teachers. He's actually saying Either the mind or the body is the decision-maker, and he's telling us right now it's the mind, because he's telling us many places in the Course there's no physical illness. All illness, he says, is mental illness. So you have to realize, the only thing you have to realize to accept the Atonement, the only thing you have to realize to be healed, to be enlightened, to be self-realized, is one thing, and that's the mind and not the body is the decision-maker. Now what does that mean? It means that persons don't decide. Human beings don't decide anything, because they're projections of, of a belief in separation. All those seeming bodies that are projected out, and all those seeming private minds with private thoughts, that's part of the hallucination. That's, that's actually part of the, the fragmenting belief system. And isn't it wonderful to know that all you need to experience is that it's the mind and not the body that's the decision-maker. Imagine that, that you believe you're a couple and you're in this interpersonal relationship and then you end up having a disagreement about something, about whatever. 
an opinion, a conclusion about having children or not having children. Maybe it's just something like you're, you're planning to go out to eat or you're planning takeout and you both have a different perception of the food that you want to eat. All that is a projection of the mind onto the body as if human beings have minds of their own. And I'm not talking just humans. We do this with cats, with dogs, squirrels, birds, you know, we, you know, with our cat ISO sometimes it's like, ISO doesn't want to eat anything. <laughs> oh, ISO doesn't want to ISO's deciding not to eat. Oh, okay. See, that's an example of projecting the decision maker to the cat, as if the cat has, has a mind of its own. We sometimes say that. <laughs> we have, if you have pets, you know it seems like they have a mind of their own. But if you start to transfer that to people as well, you start to realize that that's why there's friction, is because the Christ mind is singular, it's one, and to believe even that minds are separate, the minds are private, is a part of the distortion. And that's how deep the rabbit hole goes. So, it wouldn't matter whether, like with Pema, whether you're watching the, the body's skills and abilities and posture and many things seeming to go down, and you're thinking, I got to get this. I, you know, I want to accomplish uh, I want the lesson. I, I don't want to uh, to miss the lesson. And uh, and then you notice every single emotion that comes up. Maybe like the grief of, well, if I die, I'll leave my family behind, and, and my family will grieve, and I don't want that. Or uh, this is an aspect of the world that I will leave behind. Uh, but there's something deep inside you that knows that you don't really escape the world through death. That you, you, you even shared that, that you must escape the world through forgiveness. And what does that mean except starting to realize that there is no world outside of the mind? That, there, that what seems to be the projection is not what can be figured out. It can never be understood. It can never be you, you can never kind of just uh, make some kind of a summation and say, this is what the world is. In the end, you can't even define the world because it's a projection. And whenever you look to the world, to interpersonal relationships, or to ambition, or to goals of, for the future on the timeline, or even to try to re redo the past, no, you can't, you can't even redo the past. That's another uh, trick of the ego will try. All you can do is forgive it, which means see its nothingness. See the false as false. That's how simple forgiveness is, is you simply have to see the false as false. And that's why when you approach the holy instant, all you can do is desire it. He, Jesus even says that, that the ego is offended when it starts to look at, he says, when you start to compare your contribution to, in the awakening to the Holy Spirit's, the ego is offended because it thinks, I have more to give than that. The, the contribution of the Holy Spirit is so disproportionate to the tiny little willingness that is asked 
of the sleeping mind. One is so vast, and one is so teeny, 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 weensy, teeny. That's why he calls it little willingness, you know, repeatedly. He doesn't say, your giant willingness is needed to wake up. He says, can you give me a little willingness, a little willingness, because the holy instant is so simple that anything you want to add to the holy instant will block you from awareness of it. Anything that you think you have to do will block you from awareness of it. And even if you believe that you have to prepare for the holy instant, Jesus is saying, no, it, that's too arrogant. Now you have to learn to welcome it, you have to want it, you have to welcome it, and you have to, you have to, to have, you have to really be clueless about it, because as soon, whatever you think about it, is not it. <laughs> yeah, because that's how simple salvation is, that anything you try to add to it and say, oh, can't I just do a little preparation, you know, can I have a little, can I do something to, to, to make myself ready? And Jesus says, no, you just have to meet its conditions. But the Holy Spirit will, will bring it to you if you allow it. But you personally actually have zero to contribute to the holy instant. Because that you personally is, is what? It's a self-concept. It's the very thing that's blocking the holy instant. So think about that in terms of how all of us were conditioned, you know. Go for it. Achieve. Conquer. Learn. You know, it's like everything we believe about our worth and I our identity is, is with the timeline, and it always involves some kind of trajectory. And you know, that trajectory is always supposed to be going up, right? We're supposed to succeed. We're supposed to uh, conquer. We're supposed to accomplish. You know, we're supposed to be successful. And I'm here to tell you that every single bit of that trajectory of self-improvement is a lie that the self that God created, right here, right now, that's completely available, right here and right now, has absolutely no time to it, no trajectory to it. Be still and know that I am God. Be still in the silence is everything. And this idea of self-improvement, like, I will get there someday, if I keep practicing, if I keep working, if I keep repeating whatever workbook lessons or mantras or breathing exercises or whatever, that I will arrive in the future. And that's why Jesus put that immediacy of salvation section in his text, where he said, Be not content with future happiness, for it is not your just reward, for you have cause for freedom now. So the holy instant is actually what the healing is, but that's why you have to find that still point and just open yourself to it, where you realize that a recognition is not a doing. It's actually, it does not involve the body at all. The recognition of enlightenment does not involve the body. 
So what we'll start off with today is maybe let's start off with some questions that are related to, I think the very first question we, re we received, maybe Francis can read it because yeah. it's even oh. though um, it's someone who's, who's, he's just really asking about the body identification. Yes. I can read the question yeah. and then we we'll go from there. It's, it's a question from Bo um, from Los Angeles. Welcome to our online retreat for the first time, Bo. Bo, welcome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, Bo. <laughs> so the question is, I have been sober for many years in multiple 12-step programs. I've studied the course and been somewhat consistent with it for eight years or so. It seems it communicates in many places how the body, in so many words, is our greatest attachment or addiction. I've had a recurring thought that in order to arrive in a state of willingness to allow the grace of spirit to heal the body addiction in all its forms, like Jesus or Buddha, one would need to unplug from the world and go off the grid for a period of time. Is my, if my daily activity includes so, many, so much body pull, does one need to devote a real vigilant period of time off the grid to put down the externals of form? I truly feel the pull of pleasure slash pain in the body and all its pulls as the main source of continued struggle. What's your answer to the question of, as the Course states, I believe, paraphrasing, we must arrive at a place where you only want this, capital only, to create a space for the Holy Spirit to do its thing. How can one arrive at that place while actively plugged into so much body behavior, do we need to rehab from society for some period to generate the willingness to truly surrender? Fantastic question. I like the, you know, do we have to rehab from society? I like to use the word the matrix uses, uh, unplug. <laughs> and I like the, you said unplug from the grid, because the, I think everybody who's watching is is relating to your question in some way. Like, like if I'm going to go into the same experience that Jesus talked about, if I'm going into that experience that Buddha talked about, uh, what will it take? That's basically what you're asking. Is like, honestly, what will it take? Well, the first thing, too, I think is, like I was saying earlier, like when you think of the Jesus and the Buddhas and the Ramana Maharshis, you you can't have a self-concept that says that there are these external enlightened beings that were sprinkled throughout history that did the unfathomable uh, and that I'm Bo <laughs> in San Francisco and you know because to the extent that you don't start to take it in that whatever they seem to do you must be completely capable of doing as well or, or experiencing is a better word than doing you must, it must be so that you can experience that because truth is one. Uh, because it can't be that there were beings in history that experienced something that you didn't or you haven't. Uh, a lot of times Jesus, you know, is asked in the Course, like, uh, people say, well, how could, if Jesus did it, why are we still here? That's, that's a question I've been getting for the last 30 years, you know. If Jesus accepted the atonement, what am I doing here? You know, that, that's a common question. Or, people refer to that part in the Course where Jesus says, when I awoke, you were with me. 
And they're saying, is that true? You know, I, I don't feel that. Why, why, why don't I feel that? If, if that's true, if he's honestly saying, when I awoke you were with me, he must be calling or inviting to an experience. So the first thing I would say is you can't have a self-concept that, that differentiates who you are from some person in history. Why would you use a historical reference to escape the body identification? Because that's a body identification. There's a comparison in the mind between one who is, seems to be perceiving the world and, and another body. You see, those are still body thoughts. So I think if we started to get into this question of, of how do I unplug from the grid, how do I release my belief in societal conditioning, and your question is really saying it seems to be of all the illusions, the body identification seems to be the strongest, even though Jesus is saying there's no order of difficulty in miracles and there's no hierarchy of illusions. The body's no different than a star or a leaf. It's no different than a mountain or an ocean. It's, it's a projection, equally a projection, and yet you're saying, like you're feeling like this kind of tension, this pa pleasure-pain experience. Like out of the whole cosmos, Bo is your closest experience to the projector room. <laughs> like, it seems like Bo and those five senses that are projected to Bo are pretty close to this projector. And you're saying, how do I get in, into the projector or inside, past the projector? So, that's a good one because um, I would boil it down to start off our discussion by saying anything that relates to body thoughts, anything at all, is, is the addiction. That, that when you go into meditation, and when, it doesn't have to mean meditation, meaning, you know, a body with its eyes closed, sitting in a particular posture or position, because the Buddhists like to do the open-eyed meditation. I kind of like that too, you know, where you have eyes open, or even movement, like Tai Chi, where the body's in motion. It has nothing to do with the body being still. It has everything to do with the state of mind that is able to see body thoughts equally, and equally as unattractive. You know, to the idea that we can still enjoy this world, sometimes I hear Course teachers say you can still enjoy the world, enjoy all the, the perks and things of the world, and I've done lots of teachings about whims and how the Spirit can use the ego preferences only to undo those preferences. Because anytime we prefer anything of the world or the body at all, then the mind isn't empty, you know. Then you can say the mind is still chattering. It's still looking in the wrong place. It's still looking in the wrong faces. Because the face of Christ is not an image. It's not like you, you oh I saw Jesus and he had blue eyes and he had long hair. You know, no, that's not the face of Christ. <laughs> the face of Christ is not the face of Jesus. So, I think we can start to talk in our own experiences about this devotional life. Like you were recently talked about, trust is total, 
you can we can talk about our own experiences of that that letting go and disengaging from the thoughts of the grid because you're kind of implying, it's almost like the body of Bo is on the grid. <laughs> like that movie Tron. You know, you're, you know you've, Bo Bridges is, <laughs> his character is in Tron. And now he's, he's a, there's a roller dome in there, and there's Clue, and there's all these other characters. And you're saying, what do I do? Bo, Bo is on the grid. Bo is part of the grid. And, and I, I have an intuitive sense that if I could sink deeper in my mind into the realms of, of deep stillness, that that actually would be helpful. And you're even asking about maybe uh, stepping away from the grid. There can be steps. I know I, I was guided by Jesus to go off and do hermitages in the woods, and, and uh, I did a lot of hermitages, I call them hermitages, where I just gave myself full allowance and permission to not think about, you know, survival, to not think about that upward trajectory, you know, bigger, better, fast, more, accumulate, achieve, be successful, you know, all that stuff is actually a, a step, it's holding on to the darkness of the grid, it's not really releasing us. Yeah. Maybe you can share what, what your process has been. Yeah, and I think it's, it's, that's what we really want to just see how, how deep we can go with this because every single question that is pointing to a very, very deep question and which also calling for a very deep solution. And because um, Jesus talks about in A Cross in Miracles, we really have to see that what are the real choices we have and what are the same or the, the seeming different of the same thing. So the, that was a confusion. So, sometimes we think we have a lot of choices to make and it can be overwhelming, but why do we keep choosing things and then generate the same results? It's because we don't really realize that they are the same thing at the core. They are different appearances of the same thing. So in the you know, in, in our practice, really the goal is to come back to this point to see what are the real choices we're having so that we don't fool ourselves to keep thinking we are making choices, but we have the exact same experience over and over again. We want to choose and knowing that these choices will generate different experience. So, and another thing is is that you know, with what David was touching on, with this future plan, okay, we are choosing, but the result would be in the future. We are choosing, but the result is, is going to be in the future. That is definitely the way we were taught to think. So, therefore, we don't expect that the present moment when we choose a choice, we should expect the immediate results. That's how we know what we're choosing, because we need to expect pre present immediate results. And that is how yesterday when we touched on how do you feel, because we know how we feel, and what we feel is immediate. And that 
is an indication of the goal that you're choosing because the goal and the means are the same. There is no future goal that will be different from what you're experiencing in this moment. And that is coming back to the practical application of guidance. The reason that guidance is called guidance and is not called do this and do this, it's because in essence, it is a different kind of choice from all the choices in this world. It might still take form and shape of the doings, but because where it's coming from, because the goal is getting and the guidance is delivering a present goal, a present end result, a present means. So that is one thing that I feel what makes the course and guidance extremely practical. We don't really have to contemplating the ideas and thinking how is this practical. Practicality is in this moment. Let us use this moment and practice, ask for the guidance. And do we reach the goal? Do we have an uplifting feeling right in this moment? That is how we know because the goals and ends are always together the same. And also another thing is when we were talking about um, the, the body and different things, you know, Jesus does point out in the course that the, level, the, the mistake is not at that level, meaning whatever you choose to see and what you see and what you experience, there is no mistake at that level. So how does that... How is that useful? It is extremely powerful. If I know that whatever I experience is exactly what I'm choosing in that moment, there is no mistake in that level. Do we hear what this application is? That means you don't, we don't have to ever think, I want this, but I'm not getting it. How how to get what I want? That question is not a real question. Why is that? You always get what you want, and it's always instant. There is absolute loyalty. Because why? Because David said it's not loyal. It's one. The thought and the images are one. The, the thought and the experience are one. So in that way, we cannot say, I want this, and thus, I get, I get the different things. No, there is no mistake. So, the usefulness of that is, oh God, that's good to know. Then let's put the mind to where, where the source is and what I can control. If I get this experience, I have chosen the way. And it's not specific. You know, we're not really looking at the world and saying, this particular part of the world is not good. How did I choose to manifest this, this particular part? No, you choose it all. Boom. This is how you experience. Or you can choose a different way of, of thinking, and then you get a total experience. That is the choice that we have. So it's total. We either choose the ego. There is no mistake when we choose that, there, when we choose the spirit. 
the kind of experience we have. So in that way, guidance is the most practical application at the seeming this level to say that I want to choose the spirit in my mind all the time, so that I can unplug from the world of thinking, from the thinking with the ego, from the thinking of all these ideas. Even in the Chinese Tao, Tao Te Ching, there, I think it mentioned healing probably only once or a couple of times. And it said, heal all your knowing. It used knowing in a different context, but it means healing is only about healing your ideas that you think you know. That is the only healing there is. There is the only thing you need to think about in terms of healing, in terms of, of this world, in terms of the body. So that's what you know, we want to say as a context of the guidance, yeah. why we choose guidance. And then we can say, yeah, in this, in, in, in this, in this world, in this time and space, guidance becomes becomes our choice of the spirit, of the thinking with the spirit. That is the point that we can still access our choice. That is truly meaningful. That is that we truly do not choose something that is still of the same thing. We're completely unplugged from the choices in this world and we're choosing, think with me, spirit, tell me what to do, tell me what to say. And then you just let the body carry it out whatever has to be done. Yeah. So that's like, if we use like the Tao and Lao Tzu, he's just, he's saying you must surrender to the flow, which is the present moment. The, the present moment is our point of power, it's the point of energy, it's the point of activation, it's, it's everything. And, and when we get into the other, the ego system of thinking, that it's always involving the trajectory, you know. What will this bring me? What do I get out of it? What do I get out of it? it, it I, I have to come back to think, what am I feeling right now? What is my experience right now? When people ask me, you know, why are you happy? Why are you joyful? It's because of, the, of this moment. It's like that this moment is radiating everything that is helpful. And time, the past and, or the future, has, has no helpfulness to it at all. Now we're getting into the, the real depth of how you escape the grid. Because the grid is in the mind. So that's why it's a course in mind training. And a practical example of this, you know, because it's like, do you have any kind of example I've had a couple conversations this week uh, with a, a woman, Desi, in, in Spain, uh, south of Barcelona, and another man, Marco, uh, that Marina knows, who's in, he said, I'm in rural Spain and it's a little choppy. I said, okay, we're on, we're, you know, we're connected. And, and then Marco, we talked for a while and he said, David, here's my question. He said, I have had some experiences on mushrooms, on these magic mushrooms, and oh, whoa, it's so spectacular. Oh, so peaceful, so vast, no questions. I go into the mushroom, it seemingly involved the mushroom, even though it's the mind. The mushrooms aren't really the causation of it, but 
he's, he's describing this vast mindset. And then he's like, now here's my question. Here's what I want to ask you. What about logistics? Because when I'm in that vast experience of all that is, you know what's not there? Logistics. Details. Specifics. He said, it's so relaxing, there's no logistics. And then, when I'm not in that vast experience, uh, body thoughts, survival, um, thoughts of whatever, food, shelter, exercise, whatever, those are all body thoughts. If I'm either in this vast experience of, of everything, which is my identity, or I go back to this, this sense of body thoughts. And he said, he said, I, I realize from the vastness that that's all that there is, and, and yet when I come to body thoughts, I'm thinking, there seems to be a gap here between the vastness and these concerns. I'll call them logistical concerns of of trying to survive on planet Earth, okay? That's, that's our one realm we'll call. And that's what Jesus says, that's your wrong mind of, of survival and, and existing on planet Earth. And then there's this vastness which is the happy dream, it's the forgiven world, it's right-mindedness. Like Ken Wapnick would say, be, be, go to your right mind, the whole point's being trained to be right-minded. And be kind, be gentle, be generous, be open-minded. That's the whole goal. And so he said, how did it, how did it go for you in, in, in your life? Like, can, do you have any examples? And, you know, I think it came down to like what sometimes Christians call a, a, a conversion experience. Like, okay, I'm yours, Jesus, take my life, use me, I surrender. I have no other purpose but to be, allow everything to be used for your purpose. And that's a prayer for guidance. And then just like Francis was saying, the guidance is the meeting point where you can be in the joy and in the vastness and then involuntarily these things just come streaming through. Uh, that may in, seem to involve action, or may involve specific guidance, calling somebody, telling something to somebody, doing something, not doing something, you know, all those things. But for me, that's where we get back to that purpose is the only choice. The purpose is in the mind. The purpose, you know, remember that movie with Jim Carrey, Yes Man? Did you ever see Yes Man? You know, at the beginning, he's so closed and shut down, you know, no, 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 he's saying no to everything, you know. He's even lying to his best friend, you know, about being in the, the, the video store, you know. That's not really me, no, that must be somebody else. And he starts, but he's so into faking it, till he makes it that he is just, he, even with his best friend, he, he is not honest. He's not honest. And yet, when we come back to choose the purpose in our mind, which is where the choice is, it's not in the world. It, it definitely, you, you can't go out there, that's the ego. Oh, the purpose of a watch is to tell time. The purpose of a, of a rug is to, you know, put something beautiful and keep your feet on, on something other than the tile. You know, the purpose of the purpose of, or even the purpose of the body, 
he tells us it's for communication. He tells us in the Course over and over and over that the Holy Spirit only uses the body for communication. Except I found one instance in A Course in Miracles where Jesus didn't say that about the body. And I was like, what? He put that in there? He says, the body has no purpose at all. Oh, he even slipped, he slipped a zinger inside there. All these little purpose of the bodies for communication, communication, then wham, the, the body. Because, why? Because, because ultimately when you forgive, forgiveness is the purpose and, and he's saying, come into your mind and decide with me, align with me. So I told Markle, I said, well, I, I think I said a big yes to Jesus at some point in my mind. I just said yes, yes, full yes, full yes. And then the guidance would just come trickling through, you know, call so-and-so, oh we're taking a trip, you're, oh, you're going to do this. You know, the daily guidance that Francis was talking about that, that just comes from the choice of purpose. But the purpose is in the mind. So I can't say necessarily that I'm going to find a yes from this form or that form because even though the guidance still can involve specifics, it's coming from a state of mind that's, that's unified. It's coming from a state of mind that's, that is t together. It's, it's the right mind. And that's how you escape the grid. Your question was, how, how do I get off the grid? And the straight answer is through right-mindedness. And then you may ask, how might that look? <laughs> you see how the mind right away goes to, okay. And that's where you have to let go of the concern of the appearance to stay in the purpose. In other words, as long as the appearance seems to have that importance, there's good, that's an evaluation. That's saying, uh, you know, maybe it, it looks like the body doing this or doing that. Symbolically, many of us have gone through that experience though where we just feel like we, maybe we, we turn off our cell phones or we go off for hermitage or we simply have a day where we have no thought and no strong expectations, any expectations of how we will spend the day. It's kind of a cool experiment to just say, oh, I'm just going to have a day where I am going to, as the best I can, I'm going to let go of any kind of expectations of what the body should do or not do. Some of you remember Mohandas Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi? There was a time in the middle of Gandhi's life, kind of towards the later part of his life, where, you know, the, there's the Muslims fighting the Hindus and the British in there and there's people fasting, crying, fighting and everything going on. And then at some point Gandhi decided, kind of like you, he just decided I think he wanted to go off the grid. So it's kind of interesting if you're Mahatma Gandhi and you want to leave the grid. So you know what he did? He picked the day of the week where he was going off the grid. He picked one day of the week, Thursday, 
where he was going off the grid. And it was funny because one day a Thursday came along and they, you know, they came to his door and they sent messages, Gandhiji, Gandhiji, it's really bad, it's really bad, there's, there's these, this is going on, and you know, like our news, nowadays we have the internet. <laughs> but back then it was like somebody coming to your door and going, pleading, Gandhiji, Gandhiji, it's, it's a mess, it's a mess, you know, this is happening, this is this and this. And you know what Gandhi's response was to this plea? It's Thursday. That's all he said. He had such conviction in, in stillness that he picked a day of the week that he would not compromise and he wasn't interested. What happened? Who died? Who, who got shot? What, it was almost like saying, on Thursdays I must go inside and listen and be quiet because that is my nourishment, that is my life. And he didn't even give an explanation, he just said, it's Thursday. <laughs> it's like, you imagine that, you're getting a call from the IRS, you're, you know, something, it wouldn't matter, your dad died, or this and this, the families, or this. Oh, it's Thursday, click. You know, you have to have a conviction, he had to have a conviction even to carve out, we could say, in his perception, one day of the week to dedicate to this stillness. And, and that's still, that's just a guidance, that was just his guidance, that was still involving specifics. Obviously Thursday is still specific, you know. Thursday is an eternity, but we're talking about being practical, and, and I just use that example of give yourself the same permission that Gandhi showed us with that example. You, you are deserving and you are worthy of that sacredness, that devotion. Who knows? It, uh, one day could turn into, yeah, more than that. <laughs> you know? uh, certainly the way we live our lives, you know, we, yeah, we, I don't think we ever think about the grid. We don't usually, even when we're, we have a talk, we don't usually bring up the grid anymore. I think that because, because the merge has occurred and, and we're aware that there, there is no grid apart from our mind and, and without putting any kind of focus or attention to the grid, then the, there's just the joy. <laughs> the joy has taken over and the grid is gone. So I hope that helps. I think that's, I'm just so grateful for your question because it's really for all of us. It's for all of us. Thank you. So, thank you. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> okay, well, do we have, do you see anything? I touched a little bit on Pema's, um, Pema's question. Because question. I think that was in some way, I thought when I read Pema, when I read your question, I thought you were, it was a bit related to, uh, to, Bo's, to Bo's question. Uh, basically, in terms of body thoughts. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, you know, what we've just talked about, really, it, it, it kind of reaches a lot of yeah. these questions. I was just glancing down 
at Pilar, down here in Mexico. Pilar, hi Pilar, you're, you know, this is, this is, is this your first? Yeah, this is your first uh, online retreat too. And, and, and Pilar is a, basically a new student who, she basically came to one of our week-long um, retreats in Mexico, and it was so mind-opening that you just were like, you said, oh, my whole life, it, it kind of shifted something, a vibration or a frequency. Uh, and now, being like a very new student of the Course, and the, you're kind of like soaking in the teachings, you know, with the Course, and, and watching some videos, and you're just kind of nurturing yourself with, with these teachings. But toward the end, you ask a question um, where you said, although I understand that everything I see is a projection of my thoughts, I would love for you to deepen on how to deal with the actual worldly situation. So it's the, it, we're back to that actual world situation because uh, I talked yesterday a little bit about how Jesus says your self-concept has, has two parts. The face of innocence, which is how you perceive Pilar in the world with, with your surroundings, with your family, uh, with your friends. That's the face of innocence. That's the top tier of the self-concept. And then there's the bottom, the unconscious mind, which Jesus calls the dream that you dream in secret. So it's like there's a secret, dark dream. He said it's draped with sin. It's, it's a very dark dream. It's a dream of separation that you left God. But it's so nightmarish, it's so dark that you don't, you don't keep it in awareness. You, that's why it's called the unconscious. If it's conscious, you're aware. If it's unconscious, it's... It's out of awareness, it's unwatched. It's, Jesus says it's the unwatched mind, he told Helen at one point. So, when we talk about how do we deal with actual situations, what we've just shared today is what you perceive as actual world or actual situations is just an interpretation that's coming from beliefs. And many of those beliefs you're not aware of. So that's why it seems so real. It, it seems like there's some pretty intense emotions. And also it can seem like sometimes like you're being, like the Pilar character is being unfairly treated or spoken to in a kind of a, a dark or annoying way. Or sometimes maybe even outright attacked. Because it seems as if the world and the characters in the world and the environments in the world are doing things to you, Pilar. And it doesn't seem like your mind is the one that's generating the whole thing, including Pilar, <laughs> as well as all the other characters. So, it's so beautiful though that, that just to even write that, it just shows your curiosity because one time when you texted me recently, uh, you know, you, you were just jumping down into the deep end, you know, you're just a brand new course student and then you're saying, I don't understand the script is written. Well, that's, that's good that you don't understand that because, because you, it's actually not capable of being understood. It's just one of those little stepping stone ideas 
in the Course that's so profound and so contradicts everyday human experience that, that your mind just has a big question mark when you read the words. You're like, what? What's he talking about? That doesn't make any... Experientially, I can't relate to that one at all. That's great that you can't relate to it, because I remember typing back, you're not meant to understand that. You know, you're just meant to give yourself over, like in the mind, to the purpose and say, here I am Lord, or however, here I am Spirit, uh, what do we got today? <laughs> What's going on today? What do you got for me today, you know? You're just open to that intuitive guidance without this idea of trying to understand. That's why, to me, it's kind of funny when for 30 years I've been talking to Course in Miracles students in many different cultures and languages in 44 different countries, and a lot of times people will start off their question with, I get this intellectually, but... So, it's an, I get it intellectually, but, and there's always a but at the end of that, and I said, do you really? <laughs> Not that you can actually ever get the Course intellectually, because the intellect is just an aspect of, of the mind. It's like a, it's an aspect of the mind, but it's, it's not the entirety of the mind. Even though some spiritual teachers equate the intellect with the mind, that's, that's not Jesus talking. But, so actually I feel like it's, you're just very sincere, you're just taking this moment by moment, day by day. And when we've been talking about how simple this is, ultimately how simple, just keep that as a reminder. Like, you, you don't have to put any pressure on yourself of thinking, what is Pilar's contribution to the truth? <laughs> you know, that's, that's where it gets a little bit uh, overwhelming. Or, another form of that is, oh, I live my life as Pilar, uh, all the coulda, woulda, shoulda's. You know, sometimes I hear people say, I wish I had the Course when I was 15 or 20. And then I meet people who are 15 and 20 and they go, that messed my life up, man. That messed, that messed my uh, teenage years up. I had one young man uh, who basically came to me and he said, uh, you know, when I was like 11 or 12, my mom got into the Course big time. His name was Arvin, Alvin. And so Alvin comes to me and he goes, so my mom's studying the Course and I'm going through puberty. And like, I'm dealing with all these hormones and all this intense emotion, you know, as I'm 13, 14 years old. And I go to my mom, who of Course in Miracles, uh, student for advice on girls, on dating, on what to do with these hormones and everything like this. And she turns to me and she says, Alvin, remember, with one finger up, nothing I see means anything. She would only use number one, <laughs> number one, lesson number one from the Course with her, her teenage son as he's going through puberty. Remember, Alvin, number one, nothing I see means anything. So then I'm interacting with Alvin when he's like about 20, he's like 22, 23 years old. I'm at this uh, Course in Miracles Forgiveness Week uh, festival thing in Wisconsin. 
And uh, he comes over, and now he's, this is about nine or ten years later, and he's sitting there, and he sits down, and he said, I don't know whether I want to love my mom for saving my life, or hate my mom for totally screwing up my entire life with her number ones, you know. But he said it with a big smile on his face. And he was so into natural guidance of the Holy Spirit by the age of 22, that he was going around at this festival and he was meeting people and going out for lunch with different people and and having these deep, profound conversations with every single person at this forgiveness festival that he met. And I watched him and I thought, he was just being of service. He was loving people. He was saying, can I help you? All he did the whole week was go around and say, can I help you? And he was so in the guidance naturally at 22, and so into the flow naturally at 22, that I just watched him. And this was an international forgiveness festival, so there was people from all over the world, over in the United States. And so finally, I said to Alvin, when we were having a quiet moment, I said, I said, is there anything at all that, that is bothering you? You seem to be so happy, and, and you apparently are just in the flow of love. You're in the Tao, you're in the Holy Spirit's joy, and you're flowing around. I said, is there, I'm here though, but is there anything that is bothering you? And he said, yeah, you know, there's a lot of really beautiful European chicks uh, that are here. And I said, and? And he said, some of them, they, they don't shave their underarm. They, got, they have hairy armpits. And then that bothers me a little bit. And I said, oh, Arvin, Alvin, you are, you're on your way. I mean, if that's, if that's what's bothering you <laughs> at the Forgiveness Festival, hairy female European armpits, I told him, I said, I said, you're in good shape. You're 22 and that's what's bothering you. <laughs> I said, listen. So you see, it works at the level of the mind, even though his mother was saying, remember, number one, nothing I see means anything. There's something deep inside in the mind that starts to grasp forgiveness, you know, that, that, that I can flow. And he was so in the flow of being truly helpful. He was so in the flow of, of open communication. He was so in the flow of service. Can I help you? He was, he was fixing things with, for people that were broken. He was, he was assisting people. Can I give you a ride? It was just this 22-year-old bundle of helpfulness who's bothered by uh, hair under the armpits of, of European women. You know, you see, that just gives you a little taste of how glorious this journey really is, because what's, even what seems to bother you now, I tell you, it's going to wash away. It's, it's destined to be washed away. And the most important thing is that you don't have to figure it out. It's not like the old days where you got to read the book, like be studious, you know, and memorize things, and, and be able to talk about. No, Jesus is saying, stay with me. 
Stay in your joy, stay in your happiness, stay with me. I'm right here in your heart and I love you so dearly and you're entitled to the, the most happy, joyful life you could have, more than you could even imagine. And that's all you've got to do. You know, they call it, in Zen they call it beginner's mind. You're in beginner's mind of A Course in Miracles. And this message is reaching you right now to intercept all ego-complexity ideas of A Course in Miracles. And to say, no, it's not that you have to be concerned about what you're going to have to do or what you're going to have to offer. It's more just your willingness to step back and let the Spirit lead the way. If you are humble and you just say, wake up in the morning and say, I don't know, I don't know my own best interest, I can't figure this world out, I don't know where my life is heading in terms of form, but you're with me, Spirit, and, and I know you got me, you got me. I'm in your tractor beam. So thank you. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> it's so touching. Yeah, it's beautiful. I think it does take a lot of trust to let go of this this attempt to to understand the world and even this healing journey. Because when we actually reach peace, in that is total understanding, is real understanding. So, peace and understanding are actually identical, are the same state. There is a state of mind that you understand absolutely everything, but that state of mind is also peace, is also joy, is also happiness. And um, I think along this journey, the block is that, you know, when we identify with being the body and the egoic mind, we think somehow we can understand within that frame of mind. And we want to analyze the situation, even the awakening journey, we want to understand what happened. I remember at one point I, I said to something, even looking back of a past event, and said, why did I do that? And I was just saying that to, to JP, and he said, it's like the same question, how did the impossible happen? These two questions seemingly very different, but they're the exact same question. When is at this level? When is the real level? How did the ego happen? How, why did I do that? Uh -uh. But that is the attempt to try to understand, trying to take responsibility for a body, try to take responsibility for the world. But what we're trying to say is understanding happens, and we don't have to aim for that, actually to let go of the attempt. Just aim for a present goal of being with the Spirit. A present goal of trust, a present goal of, of feeling peace. That is enough. And then we have to allow our mind to be very clueless. It's actually, um, you know, that's, that's what comes with this this direct approach to peace. Yeah, and cluelessness is not gullibility. Uh, and, and cluelessness is not vulnerability. To be clueless 
is to be open. To be clueless is to be receptive. That's why we were sharing yesterday all these experiences just leading up to the mystery school and leading up to the film crew coming together. All that we shared yesterday was just to convey how important the cluelessness is. Because as soon as you already think you know something about this world, I mean anything, about, about the body, about families, about technology, about geography, about astronomy, astrology, as soon as you think you know anything about time and space, you aren't clueless. You actually have what I call the I know mind. Uh, and that is the biggest impediment to spiritual awakening. There is nothing bigger as a, as a block, as an obstacle to the awareness of love's presence other than the I know mind. So let me give you another parable from the parable of David. I remember back in the early 1990s, I think it was around 1993, there was people that started showing up in my life and they said, you are really happy. Uh, and, and then, oh, I want to meet with you every day and you're so happy and I want to live with you and on and on. And then I thought, well, okay, let's, let's meet every day then. If you really want to meet every day, let's meet every day. And they were kind of like, oh, goody, goody. Uh, now we have somebody to be our teacher, you know, we're the students, you're the teacher, and you're going to teach us A Course in Miracles. And so their expectation was, is that they would come together with me and we would just sit there and read the book together and talk about the book. And so they would show up with their course books, and they'd bring their course books, and they'd meet with me every day about the same time, and Oh my gosh, so many metaphysical questions. Oh my gosh, all kinds of... That's what happens when you have a book of metaphysics and you have a bunch of people that are reading it. They show up and everybody has all these metaphysical questions. And so I'd say, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. What? That's, but that's why we want to meet with you. You're going to give us the answers. You're going to give us the words, the metaphysical... And no, I said, no, I've done that for years. I'm, I'm tired of that. Uh, let's do something different. Um, I, I have a question. We'll just start off every single meeting when we meet together and I'll just ask you the same question every time and then we'll see how that goes. And they said, great, okay, we'll try it. So I said to the whole group, Does, is there anyone here that thinks they know something? That's the question. And they'd be like a little stunned, because we're not, you know, reading the book. I said, does anybody know anything? And then one would say, I think I know something. And I said, well, what do you think you know? Well, I think I know how to be a parent. I've got two children, and I've, I think that's pretty good. I, I think I know how to be a wife. And, and then some would say, well, I, I have some skills. I have some good education, so I think I know these things. I'm expert in this and this. And, this, and I think I know that, you know, you, you have to, you know, have a job to earn money so that you can satisfy all these needs of the body and da 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 da. And so we would meet every single day with just this one question, do you think you know something? And then the more we did that, the more 
it started to become apparent after some weeks went by that what they were so certain that was known, they started to become less certain about what they know. In fact, it would almost be like Byron Katie meeting with a bunch of people and, and saying, you know, why don't we just ask these four inquiry questions with every single thought that crosses our mind about absolutely everything. It would be like doing the work on every, I was kind of doing that myself, only I didn't call it the work, but with, does anybody think they know something? So, so let's relate that to some of these questions, you know, if we relate that to Pilar's question, if we relate that to, to Pima's question, if we relate that to Bo's question, you can start to see that the aspect of the mind that is in the state of interpretation doesn't understand anything, based on what Francis just said, because absolute peace and understanding are the same state of mind. So if you don't have an experience of absolute peace, I mean con totally consistent, stable, constant peace, if you don't have that, then by definition we're talking about you're in a state of confusion. And the reason the confusion is there is because this, this I know. Who is the I that knows? Who's the I that knows that Sunday follows Saturday? Who's the I that knows that the daylight follows nighttime? Who's the I that knows male and female and masculine and feminine? Who's the I that knows gain and loss? Who's the I that knows anything? Uh, who's the I that knows how to tell time? What if it's actually impossible to tell time? You know, see how deep the rabbit hole goes here. So what you're dealing with, and that's what the mystery school was about, and that's really what the making of the whole film was about, was Jesus was saying six years prior to the film, you'll, you'll make a film, you'll make a movie. You can see that's part of the guidance. Why? To unwind the self-concept. And Francis can tell you, was there any unwinding, unwinding of, of how to be a director, unwinding of what to do day by day, of what self-concept preferences versus what's given in the guidance. And even after all the, the footage is shot and you have all this, how many hours of footage? 300 hours. 300 hours of footage was shot at the Mystery School. Even the task of editing the 300 hours of footage, Francis can tell you that was a whole journey too, because there still were preconceived ideas about what the movie should be. You know, and oftentimes you would say, well that's what an editor has to do. The editor has to slice away a lot of that 300 hours of footage. Kind of like Michael, Michelangelo, you know, He's got a block of marble, you know, and, and there's the whole thing of trying to make the sculpture is taking away a lot of marble. So you have this statue of David that turns into this famous statue in history. But Michelangelo had to take away a lot of marble to find that statue of David. And Frances had to take away a lot of, in her mind, concepts, beliefs, preferences, expectations to allow 
what was to emerge to emerge. And I'm not talking about the movie as a product emerging, I'm talking about a state of mind, a peaceful state of mind emerging. Isn't that what it's all really about? It's never about accomplishing something in form, it's never about producing something, achieving something, accomplishing something. You see that's back to the ego's trajectory of time and space, trying to keep the mind locked in a linear time-space egoic identity. So what if you had, what if I said instead of do you think you know something, what if I just said, do any of you have any ambitions? Does anybody have any ambitions? When I grew up, when I was talking to my mom, my dad, my, my school teachers, my professors, ambition was a positive thing, right? You know, you, it was good to have ambitions, good to have ambitions. And I held on to that belief that ambitions were, were positive until one day I watched the movie Gandhi. And during the movie Gandhi, I'm sitting there, I, I'm adoring Gandhi, I'm like, oh, I want to be like you. I, I want to be just like you. I want to be peaceful, non-violent. I want to be like you, I want to be like you. And then in the middle of the Gandhi movie, he's walking with an American journalist. And they're walking, I think they're in South Africa in the movie, and they're walking along. And Gandhi seems to be building an ashram down in South Africa. And then the, the American journalist is walking right alongside Gandhi. He turns to Gandhi and he says, Mr. Gandhi, you're quite an ambitious fellow. And Gandhi turns to the man named Walker, uh, who's a journalist, and he says, I hope not. I said, what did he say? I have paused the movie. I've grown up as an American, as a capitalist, you know, succeed, conquer, achieve, succeed. And what, wait, run that back, what did he say? I hope not. That was Gandhi's response. And then there's another time where I think another journalist was talking to Gandhi, because I, then I got so excited I couldn't just settle for the movie, I had to read the whole autobiography of Gandhi. I had to know the whole, I have to whole, know the whole context of that, I hope not. Because I want to know what's going on in his mind that he says, I hope not, to ambition. And then there was a journalist who asked Gandhi and, and the journalist said, Mr. Gandhi, are you, are you a, a a spiritual uh, devotee, a spiritual person um, trying to become a politician. This was way before the days of Marianne Williamson. This is, this is a journalist asking Mahatma Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi, Mohandas K. Gandhi, are you a spiritual devotee, a, a spiritual practitioner who is trying to become a politician. So I'm interested in what Gandhi's going to say. And he said, oh no, 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 it's the opposite. I'm a politician trying to become a saint. Because the, the question was, are you a saint trying to become a politician? And he said, no, I'm a politician trying to become a saint. 
So then that got me curious too. That's why I read that autobiography of Gandhi. I said something's going on in his mind where he somehow is aware through the great teachings of non-dual teachings of India and the Bhagavad Gita, you know, he was raised Hindu, somehow he's aware that, that he is identified with a self-concept that he wants to escape, that he wants to let go of. That, I don't know how old I seem to be at that time, but that was very profound for me, that, that Gandhi had that presence to realize that that even his concept of trying to get the British out of India, that even his concept of trying to persuade and shape and shift the politics and the culture of India was still a concept that he was trying to release. You see how deep that is? And if you start to look at it, you can't be content to be a Course in Miracles teacher or a Course in Miracles student you have to be in that state of mind where you desire God and desire truth beyond all else. You have to prioritize truth. That's all you really have to do is prioritize truth. But you also have to realize that everything that you think you think and think you know about time and space is the block to the experience of truth. That's, that's really cutting, cutting down. That's what it means by bring the illusions to the truth. Bring your belief in your self-concept, in your self-image, to the light of truth and it will disappear. It's not telling you, there's nothing in the Course that says make a career out of this. There's nothing in the Course that says make a name out of this. There's nothing in the Course that says make an identity out of this Course in Miracles. In fact, Helen was told this course is not meant to be the, be the basis for another religion. Isn't that refreshing to have that instruction from the Spirit, from, from Jesus? This course is not meant to be the basis for another religion. To me, religion is peace of mind. That's why I don't equate religion with um, with theology. I actually create religion with, with peace of mind. So that way when people say to me, are you religious, I don't have a reaction because I interpret in my mind, they're asking me if I'm peaceful. Yes, yes I'm religious. <laughs> as long as you <laughs> have the same definition that the, that the religion is not a theology, it's not a group of theological beliefs. Even the Course in Miracles, Jesus says in the Course, you will have to forget the theology of A Course in Miracles. You will have to forget the Course in order to enter into the truth, because the truth has, has no theological beliefs. Many great teachers on the planet right now are teaching the same thing. Adyashanti. Adi is basically saying Truth and belief are not at the same realm. That Jesus tells us in the Course that, that you can believe things that aren't true. But, but the truth is true and only the truth is true. And then he tells us, out of all the beliefs the ego made, only forgiveness is a helpful belief. You mean out of, out of trillions of beliefs there's only one that's helpful? Only one? Jesus is like, that's right, it's forgiveness. But, 
But that is a belief you share with the Holy Spirit. It's not an egoic belief. It's literally, a, it's like the forgiven world, the happy dream is, is one belief, one concept worthy of your mind. In fact, it's the escape hatch that takes you back to the truth or to eternity. So this is kind of yeah. cool stuff. And also, just also, that's why this this seeming linear journey is really just a journey of purify our priorities, purify our desire, because we actually can see if we think we don't really grasp our mind because it's so abstract. There are trillions of ideas then we actually can see in our daily lives truly where do we put our priorities. And from there, you can actually have, take a very, very honest look. Take a very honest look. Because Jesus says what you desire, you have. And if you desire only that, that's, that's all you have. Basically, that's as simple as that. So... We hope that we're using this very concrete project just as a way to demonstrating, you know, even by a pro even you a project of seemingly involving so many aspects, it is still the priorities that we're working with, not really anything else, because when we were filming. Um, there were so many things that's happening, so many decisions that we need to make, so many emotions, and we have to decide constantly how to, like even yesterday, Peter's question, how do you actually make that call? And what is the basis for you to know what is the right decision? The decision is the present peace of mind. That's what we... That's why we're talking about priorities. If present peace is the priority, not a future end result, not how it's going to look, not what, what this project is going to bring to us in this world, but a present peace, a, a present state of mind is the priority, then actually every decision is around that. So when we are in a team meeting, when we start to get into discussions and opinions, and I know this, this should be done this way, that should be done this way, how do we make a decision? Who to listen to? We are listening to the voice that's going to bring us present peace. And that is the decision we're holding on to over and over and over again, over and over and over again. So with the, when the movie, we shot it, for 30 days, and then we took many, many months to, I took very, many, many months to edit. It was the same. It wasn't really about the doing. It was all about pr priority. And when the priorities and goals are split, it was very, very difficult to make the decision. And it takes a long time because, like David was saying, there was it was a, a state of chaos, and so that pro process for me was actually a process of really taking a very honest look of what are the conflicting goals, and that because I could not I could not just pretend it's not there. It is 
the, the goals, however unconscious they were, they were directing the decisions you're making. You cannot make a decision that, that serves both goals. Clearly, the decision has... For example, the movie, um, when we had the first cut of the movie and I showed it to, to a focus group and, and I had a lot of feedback that the movie was not understandable by anybody who are not familiar with David or Living Miracles because the, the, the movie was shot on um, a mystery school and we're using a lot of our tools and expression sessions. So the, the storylines of each character, what their background was, why they're having the emotions, it, it was not the focus of the movie. It was really focusing on, you know, because I feel the, the emotions are universal and the answer was universal. So we, we really look at basically just the guidance. And yet, when the movie was first shown to a group, the overwhelming response was that it was not clear. It was not understandable because who is the character who are their, what are their relationships? What are their backstories? And why, why, why? So I went back and um, tried to add on to new materials to make it more clear and to add on explanations. And I can tell you, it was very confusing because I really don't know what the goal was anymore. The goal became serving they. The <laughs> who, audience. The audience who are <laughs> they outside. <laughs> and they may not understand. I do, but they may not <laughs> understand. So it's about pleasing the they, the hypothetical they, and trying to get into their minds and seeing what they want to see, what would please them. And I can tell you how impossible that process had become to me because what I was watching was the movie became more and more clear. It became more and more like a real documentary, a lot of talking, a lot of explanation, but the feeling, the inspiration, your spirit is what lifts you up. The inspiration, the peace just go down, 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 down. And to the point, I actually thought, this is impossible. I'm going to let it all go now. I will not be able to finish this project because it's dead in my heart. And I could not produce anything that the goal is an external goal and a future goal. And it's, an, it's based on external approval or judgment. It was so experientially impossible. So... I had to basically completely be willing to let it go. And then before I let it go, I said, let me just watch it one last time, the very original first cut, which we dumped, the very original first cut, and see how I feel before I leave it all just finished. And I watched it, and I have all this swirl of feelings that I hadn't felt for a long time. And I thought, this is what I'm going for. This is why I'm doing this. You know, this is the present piece that we held on to for every single day when we were shooting. 
And now it was so suddenly it's just sliding away from that goal. Then I was back. I was back to say there can only be one goal, and if the goal are split, the result is split. You you can only choose one another, and based on the result, you 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 know which one you you have chosen. Basically, if you choose peace of mind, that's what you have, and you have to let everything else become a less priority. But if they come about, then great, but they're not the priority. So that for me is just showing that actually everything that we seem to be doing, we think we know the goal, and we always think the the goal is in the future. Right now, we have to get into the doing. Because it's a means to an end that hopefully gonna be delivering, but right now we're saying there is another way of making decisions, and that is a present piece is the foundation of decision. And if you really want that, you know that is your peace of mind. That's what you have, and then you're not really worried about. What things gonna come your way? The project, the the relationship, the people, because you know exactly how to assign the purpose to that. It's always a sorting out of what you truly value, what you truly desire, and what you truly give priority to. So. So that's that's a perfect example how it it gets lifted up from the question could just be who is the audience like. If you talk to filmmakers and movie makers, which we, at the beginning we're talking to filmmakers, and they'll say, "Who are you making this movie for? Who is the audience of the movie?" And you have to start to realize that that there are no persons that involve this audience. This is an audience of the mind, of the one mind. That is the context for mind training. Persons are learned. People don't learn. People are learned. It, at one point, Jesus says the ego peopled the world. He uses people as a verb, a verb. The ego peopled the world. In other words, the ego projected out these people as part of its veil over the truth of oneness, its veil over the the Christ idea. I remember another thing that inspired me about Gandhi because you know Gandhi in this world, you know, at the time of Gandhi, there was there literally was a world war. World War Two was going on, and Hitler was invading countries and the the Allies and the Axis and everything. And at one point, you know, they were interviewing him for Time magazine and asking him all these questions. But at one point, somebody said, "You know, you just talk all the time about peace and nonviolence. You're like a broken record. Peace, nonviolence. Peace, nonviolence." And they basically, the, the person said, "You know what, Gandhi, you're in the minority. <laughs> Your peace and nonviolence talk is the minority in this world." And Gandhi's response was, "Better to be a minority of one." In alignment with the truth. Now that's an answer. That's an answer. And I've even seen with the Course in Miracles, there are teachers of the Course in Miracles that have used the metaphor of classrooms. In fact, I think Pima was writing that in. She said, "I have a classroom now where 
it seemed I almost died of cancer. This is the, the way the body is in, and, and I'm kind of in a, a, a broken down kind of body classroom right now. And there are course teachers that have talked about, you have relationship classrooms, you have work classrooms, you have classrooms with your family, you have classrooms uh, with, with your neighbors. It, it's talking as if you, there are many different classrooms, and I remember Jesus telling me in my mind, no they're not. Those aren't classrooms. That's not a good metaphor. That's not a good metaphor at all. That's a very fragmented metaphor. I asked Jesus, what do you mean? And he said, the mind is the classroom. The mind is where you've learned the ego. The mind is where you've accepted all these false beliefs and assumptions. And the mind is where you're going to unlearn every single thought and concept and belief you have and accept the truth. So even though this is like so-called first generation with A Course in Miracles, let's get honest here. That don't, don't start coming up with concepts and, and continuing to play small as if you have a bunch of different uh, classrooms. You don't. The mind is, is the one classroom because the mind is the, is the constant. It's like what is, what are the contents of my consciousness is what you should be asking because it's the emptying of the contents of consciousness is how you realize the truth. It's going within and, and whenever you have a reaction, an emotional reaction, just notice the thoughts. And there definitely is the I know, you know, there's an I know belief. I know and you don't is really what I know means <laughs> to the ego. I know and you don't. You see the duality of that. I'm right and you're wrong. You see how that works? That's what we're talking about. That's why Jesus says, would you rather be right or happy? Because if you have a belief that you're right about anything in terms of form and specific, that is total delusion. That, that is the I know mind that we talk about. That is the interpretation that blocks you from knowing who you are and who everyone is. I know you don't. I'm right, you're wrong. That's, oh, there it is right there. That, you can see the opposites that are tied in with that, that interpretation. So what Jesus is saying is, no, no, that's why you have to inquire. You have to come back to the focus of your mind. That's why he calls it mind training. Some of you, I know there's a lot of teachers now talking about rewiring the brain. The brain is not in need of being rewired. It's the mind where the thoughts are. The, the brain doesn't think. The brain doesn't need to be rewired because it doesn't, it's just gray matter, it's just part of the projection. It's a projection of thought. The mind thinks, but the brain does not. The brain is a projection. Those little neurotransmitters, those little electrical impulses aren't thoughts. Jesus even makes a joke about that, you know, thinking that those little electrical impulses in the brain are your thoughts. He said it's like holding up a match to the sun. That's how different those electrical impulses in the brain are to thoughts. Thought is like the sun and that little matchstick lit up is like a, a neurotransmitter. <laughs> so we have to go, please practice this with sincerity and start to realize that everything that I even consider a classroom in this world 
is not really there because because everything is unified and everything is thought. Another thing that Francis was just talking about was when she, we were talking about zooming into the purpose and and you must experience the effects of your prayer this instant. You know, a lot of times people will tell me I pray, I even had a, a message this morning, I, I pray but I don't see the results of my prayer. Wait a minute, the, what are you saying? Are you saying that prayers are not answered? Yeah, that people say, yeah, I have a lot of prayers that are not, actually come to think of it, <laughs> most of my prayers they tell me to Jesus are not answered. He's like an absentee landlord. I pray and pray and pray and pray, he tells me, Pray, ask me, pray, pray, and I do. I pray, 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 and I get like 0.01% of my prayers are answered. And they say, how do you expect me to keep the faith of keep praying when Jesus is, he's terrible. He doesn't answer my, my prayers, they tell me. I say, no, you actually don't understand prayer then, because prayer is like, you know, giving and receiving are the same. Some traditions they call, they say, uh, what you give is what you get. What you believe is what you receive, in terms of even belief. It's the law of the universe that giving and receiving are the same. That's what prayer is. It's the law of the universe that giving and receiving are the same. So, if you pray truly, and you pray sincerely, and really you pray that that's your priority. Like let's say, we'll use the example of peace. Let's say your prayer is for peace. You, If you actually are praying for peace and prayers are always answered, giving and receiving are the same, you must experience the peace if you're asking for it. So if you're not experiencing consistent, constant peace, you're not praying for it. You must have something else you're praying for. Maybe you're praying for a better job, maybe you're praying for a better partner, maybe you're praying for the virus to go away, maybe you're praying for planet Earth to come back to whatever it was. <laughs> the crazy idea called normal. What is normal? You know, it, but whatever you're praying for, if you're praying for something and you're not experiencing what you're praying for, then I'd say that's just self-deception because prayer is giving and receiving are the same. There was a, a beautiful psychologist, some of you know of Abraham Maslow, and he was the one who made the hierarchy, the pyramid of hierarchy of needs, you know, your basic needs, and, and then you work your way up the pyramid. And does anybody remember what the top of the pyramid was? It was self-actualization. Isn't that great? The psychologists are calling it self-actualization. Ramana Maharshi, they call it self-realization, the psychologist calls it self-actualization. Well, what did he discover at the top of the pyramid? He discovered something interesting. He discovered that means and end are together. That for the one that's self-actualized, they aren't thinking of the future. They're in the joy of the moment. If they're painting, for example, they're not thinking, hmm, when am I going to get finished? How long is this painting going to last? And when I get finished, I hope it's a good painting so I can sell it and make a lot of money, so I can buy things. Da 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 da, you see? Future, 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 future. That's not self-actualization. Means and end are together. 
The joy of this moment is absolutely everything. And if you're doing anything, that's where the purpose comes in. As soon as you're doing something with a purpose of a future result or a future outcome. I know we're, we're dispelling business, capitalism, Marxism, we're, we're wiping the whole thing out. But that's actually what we're supposed to be doing here because that's, that's our purpose is to realize the truth. And what you start to realize is if you have a motive for the future, it means that you still believe in the past. Because only thing the future is, is a projection of the past. It's as, it's as unreal as the past is. So if you want something in the future, it means that you don't want to know the moment, this moment. It means that you have prioritized the thought of the future over the present moment. And then you wonder why prayers aren't answered. Because, because if you don't want this moment and the presence of, of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit in this moment, if you want anything other than that presence right now, then that means that you have something on your altar, your inner altar, that means you have something in your power of prayer, your core. You've put something on the core that doesn't really belong there. When Jesus said, let thine eye be single, he was basically saying, let your prayer be single. Let your, let your vision be single. Let your point of view be single. That's what the teaching means, let thine eye be single. And remember also, too, that, that Jesus, I don't know if you remember what, in the red letters, but I, one of the things in the Bible that I love, when Jesus came right out and he said, take no thought for the morrow. You know what that means? He's saying, take no thought for tomorrow. And then he followed it up and he said, take no thought for what you shall wear or what you shall eat. Uh-oh. He's going after body thoughts. He's going right, 2,000 years ago he's going after the body thoughts. Take no thought for what you should wear or eat. So, to me, that's what even the Buddha was teaching when he was talking about uh, empty your mind. Empty your mind of what? Of time thoughts, of body thoughts. Buddha was right on track. And then Jesus is simply giving us a very good training manual to say, practice this in your mind and empty your mind of everything you think you think and think you know. Some of you remember that beautiful passage in Lesson 189, simply do this, be still, lay aside, lay aside all thoughts and concepts of what you are. And he goes on to say, hold on to nothing, do not bring with you one thought the past has taught or one thing you ever learned before from about anything, from anything. Forget this world, forget this course, and come with holy empty arms, empty hands unto your God. So, there's nothing much more to say after that, except we have, we have Netta, Netta Bowen, who is, who's in the movie, and who shines through with the, the theme song of the movie, and she's actually live with us, and her brand new keyboard, over in, I think it's Rotterdam, Netherlands. So, Netta, there you are, <laughs> live. Hi, Netta. 
Yeah, Nida was、uh, was such a big part of this movie because she was invited to come to our mystery school, and she just came up with a song called "Take Me Home," and she sang that song at the opening night of "Take Me Home," and that's where everybody, after hearing that song, told me this is the title of your movie, "Take Me Home." So I thought. Okay, I have a title, and I have a theme song. <laughs> It's all given. It's all given. So, yeah, that was really amazing. And I didn't even know you were shooting a documentary. And <laughs> when I I just remember seeing、uh, online something about the one month、um, tabula rasa, and I just instantly felt like I have to give voice liberation there. Even though I never did that really before, I just did that whole two years school just for myself because I wanted to be more free on stage myself. And when I saw about it, I just felt like I have to give voice liberation there. And it just when I look back on it and seeing what a beautiful part the voice liberation also took in the movie, I'm just like, wow! It just it was so meant to be that it all came together like that. It's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, without further ado, I would love to share "Take Me Home" with all of you. So clear. 
Thank you for being part of this. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's truly just an echo of, of witnesses, because even when Meta said she, she didn't even realize that there was a film being made, um, that just again adds to all of our witnesses that we, you have to be clueless, that, that there was this sense of a movie, but how empty and clueless you can be. And then also there was a time when I was talking to Netta on WhatsApp and 
And again, she told me another witness that, that I had never heard before. This was years after the, the movie. She said, she just mentioned the voice liberation. She said, yeah, I, I had was working and training my, to do this thing called voice liberation. And she was practicing and then that was part of the idea of her coming to the mystery school, as she said, was to do the voice liberation. And then she told me over the phone, uh, some years after, where she said, actually when she got there, that everything she had done and trained for to do with voice liberation, she didn't use any of it. That she just prayed to Jesus like, well, here I am, you got me here. And, and the way that, that the voice liberation came through was entirely through inspiration in the moment from Jesus. That it wasn't even planned. And to me, that's what I like about this. When you shared with, that with Mineta, I thought that it's cascading messages and miracles saying, you're not doing anything, and none of us are, and that Spirit's got us, and all we have to do is really enjoy the ride and, and, and behold. Because you were beholding like, wow, look, you'll see in the movie, for those of you who haven't seen it, you'll see it come through, but that's truly involuntary. That is truly, that was truly the work of God, the work of Holy Spirit. So, I just am... I, I was sharing yesterday, a couple of days ago, I had an interview with Jessica and Eric, and I was sharing about about the movie as well, and I said, like, like I'm such a person who always thinks, like, like you said, I know better, and like, I think I know, like, the, the I know mind, and with this voice liberation, when I got there, it was... It was it was so humbling for me because I really, for the first time, fully got that feeling of I really don't know what the f I'm doing. I don't know, <laughs> and it really made me able to step back in such a sincere and honest way because I did really come there to be useful. So so it was it was so helpful to just be like, okay, I don't know. And and really, in that moment, it's like one of the first moments that I that I experienced hearing the voice of the spirit so clearly and actually telling me even words, tell him to say this, tell him to sing this, do this, do that. And that was the beginning of a very um, yeah, deepening and, and strengthening of my relationship with spirit. And it's it really for me. Yeah, it, it really started there as well at the at the Tubula Rasa due, due to this experience. So, yeah. Wow. Thank you. I see tomorrow. Are you going to watch the movie tomorrow? When is it on the planning or tonight or in, uh, in two hours from now? A couple hours from Exciting. now. Exciting. <laughs> you guys yeah. are in for a treat. I'm telling you. <laughs> Stay tuned. And you know, sometimes we, we talk about the involuntary nature of miracles, but this, I really am grateful for the sharing of all these parables. It's almost like the rest of the story. Like, you want to know the backstory of, of how I thought it was going to be this, and, it, and, and this beautiful grace came through. And, and I feel like that's how the movie was made, that's how the mystery school went, that's how voice liberation, we might say, was born uh, through you, with just your willingness. And I find that that's what people are wanting the most, because that question of how do I do this, when, it's, when we think the guidance is, has a purpose 
to bring us something in the future, we're really not remembering the point of the guidance. The guidance is to have us be present, to like say, here I am. In fact, um, with Helen Shuckman and Bill Thetford, you know, Bill loved words and he, he's like, loved puns and, and he loved all kinds of fun things with words and, but he had a, a, a pretty strong resistance um, sometimes, it would rear up, a lot of repression would rear up. And so, at one point Helen could tell that Bill wasn't feeling well, so she just, she just asked Jesus, she said, do you have, do you have a prayer for Bill? Can you, can you give Bill a prayer? Like, I'll give it to him if you give it to me. And, and Jesus said, yeah, here's the prayer for Bill. Tell Bill to keep this and just practice this. And the prayer was, here I am Lord. It's a four word prayer that Jesus gave to Bill. And just think for all of us how, if you use that prayer, imagine the next time you were afraid about something that was going to happen, or you weren't sure you, you were strong enough to do something, or you doubted your abilities, and you doubted that you could walk through whatever the Spirit was going to guide you to do, that if you just remembered that four word prayer that Bill Thetford used, Here I am Lord, that that is all that you need, because it puts you in the receptive uh, position, like you're really saying, use me. You're saying, I want to be of service. You know the way, I don't. Here I am Lord. I'm here to follow. And that is the most important thing if you had to remember. And I, I swear when I watch that movie, every time I watch that movie, that's what I, I see. It's like a dance. Yeah. It's the perfection of the plan, you know, when we're healed, when I'm healed, I'm not healed alone. That's why it is also impossible for the mind to want to figure out the individual healing plan for himself. Because he doesn't know, when Neda came in, that was the beginning of a whole voice liberation that she is practicing still now. Because she saw so many miracles and healing, not just to the people in front of her, but herself, because when I remember when I was talking with her during that month, she was just completely stunned and amazed by the way she was used, by the presence of Jesus in those moments. She was, it was so healing for, for her, for the people, now for us watching, and it's just, there is, is no you and I, you know, it's to give and to receive are simultaneous and the same. That's exactly it. That's why we can't define the problem and say this, this is my little prayer, but here I am, Lord, yeah. heal me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the movie. We really can't, we can't know the problem to accept the healing. We can't know the problem. We can't define the problem because that's, that is the problem, is that we, we think we know what's going on with time and space. And like you said, when you were talking to JP, that idea of how did I do this, how did I do this, and and how did the separation happen, are the same question, even though one seems to be a big, huge ontological, how did the separation happen, and the other is, how could I have done that? You know, that little flip back to the past, how could I have done that? So it's it's the same question, and 
And that way we start to focus on, lead me, show me, use me. It's like, show me the miracle, <laughs> instead of like that uh, Tom Cruise movie, uh, Jerry Maguire, money. show me the money. It's little variations, show me the miracle. And then our mind is aimed towards the correction. Do I want the problem or do I want the answer? That seems so simple, but every single moment we're actually deciding do I want the problem or do I want the answer? And you cannot go about problem solving the way that you've been taught as a human being because whether you're solving a, a physical seeming problem or a psychological problem or a problem, the problem, a mathematical problem or a scientific problem, the world says that you must first define the problem as part of the problem-making, problem-solving uh, equation. You must first define the problem. And then you come and you bring in, you try to bring in the answer. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, that, we're not going to do it that way anymore. I want you to listen and follow my instructions. But instead of trying to be a problem-finder, or a problem-definer, I want you to be much more open than that. I would rather have you say and mean, here I am, Lord, than to think that you have to define the problem. Because you really can't, you can't know the problem that the plan was meant to solve. You can't. If means and end are together, why would you think you could go digging somewhere in time and space to try to find the problem, when the problem is not in time and space? It's not the right direction. So, yeah, join us this afternoon. I know that some of you is getting really late, but yeah, if you can make it, join us this afternoon, I think in an hour and a half or two o'clock um, central daylight time. And then we'll, we'll have cast uh, some of the main characters in the movie with us after. So there will be more time to, to share, to express, and to, to talk with them as well. So we'll see you, see you this afternoon.